0: Good afternoon and welcome to Love From The Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. This show is created with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping others in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. The Lydians, or people of Lydia, which is now present-day Turkey, were the first to mint coins in the 7th century BC. These coins, which were of precious metals like silver, bronze, and gold, were stamped with various gods and emperors to mark their authenticity. The Chinese were the first to create paper currency during the Tang Dynasty. It was used for more than 500 years before it caught on in Europe. The word cash, in fact, comes from the word keiyuns, originally used to describe the type of round bronze coins with square holes used during the Tang dynasty. the earliest forms of credit cards appeared during medieval times where a tally stick was used. Notches were made on this wooden stick to indicate the amount owed and lent, and then split down the middle so the creditor could keep one half and the debtor the other. Because the shape, size, and grain of these wooden halves had to match up perfectly, tally sticks were extremely hard to counterfeit. This is why England chose to use them over 700 years to collect taxes from local citizens. Anthropologist David Graeber believes that debt and credit were long created before the concept of money and the oldest means of trade. He points out that the first recorded debt systems were in Mesopotamia within the Sumer civilization around 3500 BC. Prior to the use of money, early civilizations used other methods of barter, Some used cattle, small knives and spades of bronze, cowrie shells, and animal fur. The Incans, however, had no concept of money, unlike their neighbors the Aztecs and the Mayans who bartered with textiles and beans. They instead had a highly regimented system called mita. This system required Incan males by the age of 15 to provide manual labor by building public places. And in return, the government would provide all basic necessities. There are still societies today that function without money. Many of these are tribes who live deep in the Amazon. The Yanomami, despite the fact that gold was found near their home, use trade and barter. The people of part of the Massim Archipelago in Papua New Guinea exchange and barter their goods such as armbands and red shell necklaces in their trading ring called the Kula. The Awa tribes, another Amazonian tribe of roughly 350 people, Do not use money at all, and instead just live off the land, even though their lands are being terrorized for the purpose of money. Lynn Twist, author of Soul Money, worked closely with an indigenous Amazonian tribe who had no concept of money. She explains that they don't understand why you would even want money if you cannot hunt for it or eat it. Twist says that money is like water. When it flows, it purifies, it cleanses, it makes things grow, and it makes things green. When it is held and hoarded, just like water, it is toxic and stagnant, and it can actually make you sick. She explains money needs to be moved like water. The reason money has a hard time being moved, however, is due to our belief of enough. Twist points out that enough has no real standing in our consumer culture. Instead, we are always grabbing for more and more. It is a constant mindset of scarcity, and this mindset of scarcity has us acquiring and accumulating more than we need. Twist teaches that the radical, surprising truth about money and life is sufficiency. When you can clear away the mindset of scarcity and recognize that it's just an unconscious, unexamined mindset, that it is not real, that it is instead an illusion we bought into, only then can you find the ras- radical, surprising truth of enough, that you are enough, that they are enough, and that you have enough. And in this realization, you can then use all of the energy you had tied up in this scarcity and redirect it to make a difference. Twist believes when you share it, it expands, that what you appreciate, appreciates. When we interact with money consciously, we tend to feel good about ourselves and the world around us. It is true, however, that most of our experiences with money are not conscious. This unconsciousness with money can explain why we find ourselves in jobs we don't care for, or buying things we don't need, because as Twist pointed out, we live with this unconscious mindset of not ever having enough. Certainly, not all of our unconscious interactions with money are established in our adulthood. Many are learned childhood beliefs, like the all-famous money doesn't grow on trees. These beliefs shape our relationship with money. Ignoring money consciousness is very common and easy to do. But it is important to know that it has a huge impact on various areas in our life, our health, our relationships, and our well-being. The more we begin to focus on our money consciousness, the more we begin to question how we use money and also see how it may not make sense. The more consciousness we put into our use of money, the better the intention we can set and the more we can give to others. And by shifting the energy around money, we can find more purpose and self-worth. Today I have the absolute pleasure of having Andi Fraser on my show. Andi is Forbes book's author of Financially Free. She will share her wisdom on money, its energy, its lessons, and what our relationship with money teaches us about ourselves. Plus Andi will touch on how this pandemic has put a big stress on finances with aging parents, as well as the greater financial burden women may have to bear. So stick around after this quick break.
1: Hypnotherapy helps you discover and explore deep, sustainable life changes. Let Sakura guide your communication with your unconscious mind. Rid yourself of negative behaviors, fears, pains, and emotions. Weight loss, smoking, childhood drama, chronic pain, and much more can be addressed. Begin healing now. Just $100 for the first session. Learn more. Sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A. Skin and Mind. Com. Bring out the healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had.
2: Organic, free range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm Spiritual Hypnotherapist, Master Esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my YouTube channel and podcast, Love from the Hip, that's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today I have the pleasure of having Andy Frazier on my show. Andy is Forbes Books author of Financially Free. Hey, Andy, thanks for joining us today.
3: Oh, I'm so glad to be here, and I loved your um, introduction where you talked about Lynn Twist. I have her book earmarked in about a hundred different ways, so that was really great to hear you talk about her work.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I think it was important to share, and she totally flows into what you you are all about as well.
3: Absolutely. She's definitely been somebody I've looked to through my career and um, and has so much wisdom to give.
0: That's awesome. So in in saying that, what does money mean to you?
3: You know, money means to me at the core, I think freedom, but more intentionally for me, it's allowing me to be able to make choices so that I can do what I want to do in my life. And make decisions, and money gives me freedom to be able to do that wherever I am and whatever time I am at. Okay.
0: And how long have you worked with money or been in finance? I, I like to
3: kid that I started when I was ten, um, <laughs> but, but the reality is I've been in the in the financial industry for over 25 years. I joined the industry right out of college um, and worked with my dad. Um, worked with clients. And my dad, who had been a minister while I was growing up, had gotten into the financial field um, during my senior year of high school. So I joined him in his practice back in 1993 and have had, you know, the good fortune to be able to work in many different areas throughout the industry since then. And um, so, yeah, it's been my career for the last 25 plus years.
0: Yeah, it's a long time. So how was it to
3: work as a woman in a predominantly male-oriented field? You know, it's interesting that you use the word predominantly male. I heard a gentleman this morning talk about that their, that the financial field was male dominated. And I think even languaging, which I hope we can talk a little bit about, makes a difference. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it shouldn't be male dominated. It should be predominantly male to your point. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it definitely was tough in the beginning. I think that what I was challenged with as a young person getting into the industry is having people take me seriously, um, you know, talking to somebody about their retirement that may be 20 or 30 years older than I was was certainly a challenge when I'm 23 years old and haven't seen a down market, you know, yet and was in their 90s where things were kind of going up. So it was difficult, but I tried to figure out where I could be different mm-hmm. and create my own white space so that I could grow and, and be kind of a unicorn in that space. So I learned a lot of important lessons along the way.
0: <laughs> so how how did working in finance in the South, right? Because that's where you, you grew up. Yeah. How is that different than working in New York City?
3: Well, uh, yeah, I'm originally from Georgia and have um, and grew up in and around in Georgia and Tennessee and moved to New York back in 1998 and have been here for the last um, 20 two years. And there is definitely a difference even to this day in terms of what I see, not just in the Northeast or the South, but throughout our country as to how people um, work and how people deal with money. I think in the South, when I started the business, um, certainly in the small town that I was in, a lot of women weren't in real professionally executive types of roles. Mm. Most of the women that were working were working as a teacher or as a um, hairdresser or they owned maybe or worked at a retail establishment um, or was a nurse. They weren't seen around town. There were a few attorneys, maybe a couple CPAs, but not that many. And they certainly were older. There just wasn't a lot of young, really highly professional women um, in my area. And so I didn't have a lot that I could you know, look up to at the time. Um, and so that that was hard. And getting people to kind of recognize that, you know, women should have those and, you know, have every right to have those higher oriented kinds of roles. And so that was something that I had to battle in conjunction with me, you know, not only being young, but also being in a a small southern town. Right, exactly.
0: And then that shifted when you got to New York City, I imagine.
3: Yeah, it did a little bit. I think that there are, you know, certainly a lot of young people on Wall Street and so in the financial arena. It wasn't uncommon to see young people be more actively engaged in the industry. Um, and so people, even as you were working with client advisors and clients, I think clients were more open to working with a younger person because a lot of the stockbrokers were younger. And so it wasn't unusual, whereas in the South, it certainly was uh, very unusual to see somebody under the age of 40 really talk about money, especially a woman.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, with that, we're going to have to take a break. But everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip.
2: Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial for just $120. Designed for your rugged skin, a deep cleansing clinical facial is like a 1-2-3 punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com sakura skinandmind.com.
1: The veil is the line between physical and non physical realities, between spirit and matter. Listen in to Go Beyond the Veil, an exciting new show every second Wednesday of each month from 2 to 3 p.m. In this engaging and informational, jam packed radio hour, hosts Sakura Sutter and Rory Reich interview folks who make a living crossing the veil, assisting others on their journeys of healing and self discovery. Drawing from their own experiences, Sakura and Rory have come to realize how challenging it can be to understand it all. So they will ask the hard questions to not only reveal more truths and clarity, but in an effort to make spiritual sense. They hope by offering you, the listener, a resource where science meets spirituality that you too can finally put your skepticism to rest once and for
0: all. So join them as they go beyond the veil. Did you know that your skin is your body's first defense against disease and infection? BrioTech knows and has developed their topical skin spray to enhance your skin's natural healing responses and defenses. BrioTech is all about providing its customers products that help promote skin wellness. BrioTech Topical Skin Spray is a light misting spray free of added fragrance, oil, alcohol, and parabens. All this protection without clogging your pores. It's a must addition to your all around daily skincare regimen. Try Briotech, a collection of sprayers from 2 ounces to 8 ounces. With this bundle, you can have Briotech Topical Skin Spray wherever life takes you. All natural and safe to use from head to toe. Irritations? Redness? Post procedure sensitivities? Get Briotech Topical Skin Spray today. Learn more at BriotechUSA.com. That's B-R-I-O-T-E-C-H-U-S-A dot Support your skin at BrioTechUSA.com.
2: On the path to good health and well-being? Alternative Talk 1150 is the station for you.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And feel free to send me a shout-out at Sakura at Lovefromthehip.com. Let me know you're listening. Today on Love from the Hip, we have Andy Frazier. Andy is Forbes Books author of Financially Free. So Andy, as a woman in finance, do you think women have a harder time than men?
3: You know, I think women are really good at having some of the conversations that I think our society needs to be having around money. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people view the financial industry, you know, and talking about money as being all about math. But money is not math. And there's so many more things that we attribute to money. And I think that women have a unique gift at being able to tap into that with people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, it's a, it's a great career and there's a lot of room that I think we have for more women to really look at this being a career for themselves. And so I'm finding that we're making some progress finally, Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's taken a really long time to see the needle kind of move in any positive direction. I think within the last couple of years, we're starting to see it. Would finally say, much.
0: And would you say that's because women have a harder time with money?
3: I don't know that Do women have a harder time with money. I think women are very um, maybe they want to understand what's happening and they are more they're not necessarily risk adverse. They just want to understand the risk that they're taking. And so I think that sometimes they are slower to take action and maybe there's a frustration if they're working with a male advisor around that. But I think that it's measured when they do take action and when they do actually start to invest, they're more consistent with their investing over time and they actually end up doing better mm-hmm. as a result. And so it's um it's a really interesting to see that dynamic play out. And then what would you say would be our biggest
0: obstacles?
3: I think just getting out of our head a little bit around money. I think we still have some stereotypes and ways that we were raised. I know I'm in my late 40s and thinking back to how I grew up. And even though my dad, you know, is in the industry now, and and we had some really good conversations growing up it wasn't talked about that much. And so I think as we start to kind of grow out of this and something that I'm encouraged to see with the younger generation is they're talking about money more freely and more openly. And that's encouraging. And I think as we start to evolve from there, we're going to start to see a a shift really happen.
0: Yeah. And would you say that's also because, like you said, money's not math. Would you say money's more of energy?
3: Yes, there is definitely energy related to money. You know, thinking about what Lynn talks about in her book, The Soul of Money, um, you know, money is just the medium of exchange. It doesn't really have any power or, or attributes other than what we give it. And so we give it the energy. We allow it to take on deeper meaning and we allow it to be able to have more depth to it than what it was originally designed to do. And I think that certainly has impacted how we view, spend, save and think about money.
0: Yeah, exactly. And would you say then also that the judgment we make about others and money is also a belief we have about ourselves?
3: Yes, I, I do a lot of challenging of people to think about their mindset. You know, when we see somebody that has wealth, what stories are we making up about them? What assumptions do we make about them? And, and the same can be true for when we see somebody that may not have wealth. Are we making up stories and assumptions about them and their circumstances? And What I find is that when people do that, what's really going on is they're also somewhat judging themselves. Because if you're making assumptions about other people, you're putting yourself in relation to them. So either you're doing better than they are, you're doing worse. And so there is some self-judgment that happens subconsciously as a result of doing that. And we're kind of gauging and ranking ourselves on where do we fall in that wealth continuum. And, And that can certainly impact our ability to be confident about taking control of our money.
0: Right. And would you say that also would dictate whether or not we
3: reach our fullest potential with money? Yeah, I think mindset is the number one thing that can stand in your way to reaching your financial potential. You know, the the self-talk that we have, the little voice in our head, um, you know, that speaks up and that really prevents us from seeing what's possible and what we're capable of. I think that gets in the way in so many cases with people as it relates to their financial abundancy.
0: Okay. And so how do we address this mentality of scarcity?
3: Well, I think that first, you know, you talked a little bit um, in your opening about the fact that when we hoard money and when we use money to control and dominate and think that there's not enough to go around, it loses its energy. It loses its power to be transformative and to make a difference. And so I think when we operate in the scarcity mentality we have to first look at it, at being a source of language. It's what we say about money. You know, I don't have enough money to be able to buy that, or I don't have enough money to be able to do that. And just that languaging in and of itself can create a scarcity mindset. When the reality is, is that we've all heard stories about people who have, you know, received enormous wealth or have worked their way through wealth and have gotten that quickly. And so there's certainly plenty to go around, um, whether or not you need to have all of it, it may be another you know question to really ask. But I think that scarcity mindset really starts in what we say about money and what we say about ourselves in relationship to money.
0: Mm, okay. And
3: would this go with your money maxim? I was hoping you could shed light on that. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in my book, I talk a little bit about um, a money maxim, which is the story that we have created for ourselves. It's a real personal kind of sentence, if you will, or story that we've made up about money. And it usually happens um, for people in childhood. We have these experiences, and maybe it's a personal experience, where we recognize that money means something more than just a medium of exchange. And once that happens, we make up a story about money, uh, or a sentence, or a statement that we say to ourselves, and this kind of money maxim creeps up. Throughout our lives and can get in the way of us at being able to make logical and rational decisions. Um, In my book, I talk about a woman that I met early on in my career name um, for purposes here. We'll call her Sally and Sally had a money maxim of I'm not worthy or I'm inadequate. Mm -hmm. And so she was perpetually either proving that that was true or trying to disprove that. And so she would spend money to try to, you know, look a certain way to her friends. And, but then she would get so, distraught over being in debt and not being able to really get ahead and do some of the other things that she wanted to do in her life. And she was in this vicious cycle. And once we identified her money maxim, she was able to clearly get aware of it, recognize when it was there, and then choose intentionally to create really a money mantra that started to kind of help her transform her entire relationship to money.
0: Okay. I was just going to ask you, so the first steps would be to identify it Right. And then choose to what change your
3: language. Yeah. You know, awareness can provide so much insight for us. I think, you know, we can't change a problem that we don't acknowledge. I think Dr. Phil may say that or um, but it is really true. You know, when we become aware that something is happening, we can start to determine how it's impacting our lives. And then we can make a decision whether or not we're going to continue to let it impact our lives that way or whether we're going to elevate ourselves and our energy and move forward in a different direction. You know, it, until awareness happens, we somewhat can stay in this victim energy level, which is kind of level one energy and not be able to really move forward. And it can keep us really stuck and distraught.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so you would recommend developing a money mantra.
3: Yeah. You know, and that can come from doing the work around your money maxim, once you identify what your money maxim is. Um, it's a personal process. I think, you know, the first thing you could do is flip your maxim around and start with that. But really, the mantra needs to be also about what your values are and what you what is your true purpose of money? What do you really want money to do for you in your life at the end of the day? And that's a question that you know a lot of people say, Well, I want to have stuff, but it isn't about the stuff. It's about how the stuff makes us feel. And who we get to be when we have access to resources. It goes back to who our being is. And so once you can start to tap into that, then you can start to think about that mantra. And that mantra is a being mantra rather than a doing or having mantra. Mm. And this is all connecting
0: us with our money consciousness, would you say? For sure. For sure. Okay. And what is your money mantra, just out of curiosity?
3: You know, I, I meditate and I do yoga. Um, my, the mantra that I say when I meditate is I'm which is something that I've said for years. And, um, but I think for me a money mantra is just about being able to recognize that my value and self-worth is not attached to my financial bank account, you know, and that there's so much more that can be done with that. Um, and so for me, I think my money, money mantra would be that, um, I honor myself by using money to create freedom and choice in my life.
0: Mm, That's great. And what would you recommend? Because I know you touched on Sally, but I think Sally accounts for such a huge portion of our population, not feeling adequate enough, not feeling worthy. What would be Mm -hmm. the mantra you would suggest
3: for that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think when you look at what's happening every day on social media, you know, we're now not just comparing ourselves to the friends and people we interact with in our You know physical lives every day but now we have a lot of other people that we're looking at and that's perpetuated this kind of feeling of inadequacy or unworthiness or you know perfectionism that sometimes i think a lot of people are striving for and so you know with sally's mantra her mantra really was around i am worthy and adequate and i am worthy of abundancy in my life and so it was a really a focus on us shifting that scarcity mindset her and recognizing that her value um, was not attached to the clothes that she wore or the you know, car that she drove or the stuff that she had. And once she started to detach that and look at the payoffs and the costs associated with spending that money, we started to be able to move her in a really positive direction. That's awesome.
0: And would you say this is a, more of a practice, right? I mean, you, this is something you're going to have to remember to do almost daily.
3: Absolutely, I think there's so many areas of our life where we could be focusing on the process and practice and um, unfolding that kind of takes place. I don't think there's everybody's looking for a magic solution, um, and there's not one out there for so many things, especially as it relates to personal growth and development. And um, and money is a part of that too. Is we have to practice our way in, and that means recognizing lessons learned and moving forward from there, and being in a constant state of Um, awareness and stillness and recognition so that we can be intentional about where we're going next. Mm, Thank you for sharing that.
0: And with that, we're gonna take another break, but everyone please stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about the effects of alcohol on the skin. Some of the side effects caused by drinking alcohol can include dullness, discoloration, sagging, enlarged pores, dehydration, blotchiness, redness, puffiness, and above all, aging. Alcohol dehydrates the skin, taking away all of its plumpness, which causes, you guessed it, wrinkles. The redness is created by the histamine reaction alcohol creates causing systemic inflammation and in turn a flushing of the skin, which after continued years of drinking can become permanent. The puffiness is caused by alcohol's inflammatory effect on the body. When our internal organs become inflamed, This will show up on the skin in the form of breakouts, redness, and puffiness. The breakouts associated with drinking alcohol are caused by the alcoholic drinks high in sugar. The sugar in alcohol itself can also negatively impact hormones and create an imbalance. Hormone imbalances can cause anything from increased pigmentation to dull, sagging skin. Drinking alcohol can also affect the gut bacteria by eliminating healthy bacteria in turn throwing off the immune system and causing inflammatory skin conditions like eczema and or rosacea. Interestingly, clear alcoholic beverages like vodka, gin, and tequila are said to be less damaging to the skin than darker spirits like that of whiskey, bourbon, and rum because they have less additives and are processed more quickly out of the body. Red wines are said to be the most likely to cause skin flushing, blotchiness, and redness, while white wines and cocktails like Cosmopolitan's are most likely to cause puffiness and breakouts because of their high sugar content. Of course, refraining from drinking alcohol would have the best effects on the skin and be the best way to keep your skin from prematurely aging. So what happens when you stop drinking? Immediately after drinking, your liver will work double-time to rid the toxin out of the body to prevent alcohol poisoning. Within 24 hours after drinking, your skin will still be dehydrated. Seven days after drinking, your skin will begin to bounce back. After a month of not drinking, your skin will have significantly less swelling, more hydration, and a more even skin tone. And because the condition of your liver will manifest on your skin, Within a year of not drinking, your liver will be more repaired, giving you more healthy, glowing, beautiful skin.
1: of treatment, and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com.
2: Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my YouTube channel and podcast, Love from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Forbes Books author of Financially Free, Andi Frazier on my show. So, Andi, you were talking a little bit about meditation. Would you recommend meditation as an important addition to financial transformation?
3: Absolutely. I I have found meditation to be so valuable in so many different areas of our lives. And I know it's not a normal thing to think about meditating and money, but I think what meditation does is it allows us to really get present and create stillness and to kind of slow down the spinning that kind of goes on in our heads and allows us to really center ourselves and think about what's important. And I think it's important to go slow, to go fast. And so meditation allows for that to really happen where you can really pause and think about what you're doing and why you're doing it.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine it gives you time for those new beliefs around money to catch up. Totally. It's
3: a, it's a place where you can, you know, a a new belief or an affirmation is great, but you know, really what meditation allows you to do is to process how will you feel once, you know, if you're living in that new belief or that new truth for yourself, how will you feel? What are those feelings? And more importantly, who would you be in that um, situation? And when you really get present to that, that's when you can really manifest that for your life.
0: Mm, That's awesome. And
3: also what about visualizations? I do a lot of visualization work. I think that's where meditation and visualization can really align beautifully, where you're processing the ways you want to feel, but you're also picturing what that looks like in your head. And so the feelings can start to match up with the pictures, which creates a very powerful um, energy that can, where I see transformation really occur. Mm, Okay. And what
0: about clearing money, like with sage or crystals?
3: Yeah, I have, uh, I do sage different things, money that comes in depending on where it came from or, um, and you know, I, I have plenty of crystals. I, I do believe that money is energetic. And so I, think it's important that we recognize the energy that not only comes with money when we receive it, but also that we are putting out when we give it. Right. And so, you know, depending on how it was received, you may want to clear it before you do anything else with it. And um, there's different processes that people use. You don't have to physically have it and sage it, but you can, you know, have a clearing prayer or clearing meditation. Um, And I think that's important so that the Negative energy that might be associated with money gets cleared before it passes on to the next person or organization or business. Right,
0: and also like with our stimulus checks, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> so overall, with this pandemic, with COVID, do you think it's changed our outlook or relationship with money?
3: I hope so. I, I really do. I think there, you know, there's certainly been so many people that have been devastated and impacted around what's happening. 40 million plus people are out of work and um, and there's a lot of struggle out there and um, and pain and suffering as a result. But what I do hope is that we learn uh, the le- what are the lessons here that we can all take from this and move forward with our lives. And, you know, I've heard so many people thinking about what is the Do we want to rush back to normal or do we want to create something new? What have we been able to learn from this time of, you know, staying still and getting back to what's important. And so I think there's, you know, we have to look at the positive here and what are the lessons that we can learn and what is really important to us at the end of the day. It's not all the stuff, but it's about what money allows us to have, whether it be freedom or choice or whether it be security um, and a home safety and so that's really what I hope people will start to look at this and, and think about what are the positive lessons there are to learn.
0: Yeah. And since we haven't been able to spend it, right, there's going to maybe hopefully be more intention with that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Hopefully people haven't, you know, used Amazon to their fullest capacity here. But um, certainly, even without trying, I've found that there's been money I've saved just from not going out as much and transportation cost alone. You know, I've, I haven't yeah. filled up my car in over a month. So I think that. There are ways to save and think about, you know, what is the highest and best use of that money going forward and being more intentional about where we're spending and how we're spending.
0: hmm. So could you go over some of those lessons that hopefully we've carried on from this?
3: Yeah, I think the first thing is the importance of having accessibility to money. And having, you know, my parents might call it a rainy day fund or an emergency fund. I I like to call it a liberty fund because I think having money and I, I really ideally like to have people save about six months worth of living expenses in this Liberty Fund. And I call it a Liberty Fund because it's not just for an emergency. It's not just for a rainy day. I don't want people to think they can't use it unless it's a dire emergency. It might be something that could liberate them from a job that they hate or a bad or toxic relationship, or it might be used to launch that passion project that they've been dreaming of, or to give to a philanthropy that they feel really called towards you know, being of service to in some way. And so I think it gives them liberty to have that accessibility to money. And so that's one of the lessons is the importance of having that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would have allowed people to have maybe managed the last, you know, 12 weeks of this pandemic a little differently, knowing that they had money there. So they didn't have to worry about paying for their, you know, roof over their head or food. I mean, we've seen so many people need food. And so having some money set aside does give people a sense of safety and security Mm -hmm. um, to be able to take care of their health. Right. Right. And freedom, which is what you touched on earlier. Yeah. Even businesses, I've been a little shocked at how many businesses have um, not necessarily had a lot of resources to carry them much further than a week or two out. And so I think the lesson is how can we, you know, as we know better, we do better. Um, mm-hmm. And how do we do better going forward and having, you know, maybe instead of buying all the stuff and having that ex- excess that we can have money set aside for um, these types of things that might come up that we want to have that accessibility for.
0: Right. And what do you foresee for companies after COVID? I mean, aside from
3: having more funds saved. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that companies will take this opportunity to see, um, the value of flexibility and virtual work. And even I think as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm always Zoom fatigued. I love the fact that I'm able to work from home and work where I win, and I can get work done anywhere. I'm set up to do that. And so it allows me to have more time with my family or to have more time to to participate in self-care and work out. And and so I think as companies look towards the value they can offer their employees, it's not just in a paycheck. It's also in giving them flexibility to be able to be in their lives in the way that they want to. And so I'm hoping that companies will start to understand that with virtual work, we can have more enjoyable lives and and have just as strong of a connection as maybe having everybody come into the office every day.
0: Right. And also employ
3: people that are maybe further away. Yes. I am really encouraged to see that a lot of companies are saying with virtual work, we can hire people that are not in our geographical sphere. We can look to people, you know, in different states, in different counties, and, and, you know, even different countries for that matter, and think about how we can leverage them and have them be a part of our team. And so I think that's gonna open up a lot of opportunities. And I certainly hope it opens up a lot of opportunities for women who, you know, do sometimes struggle with managing the um, care of families, whether that be young children or elderly parents and, you know, their lives. And so I'm really excited to see where we're going to evolve um, from a business perspective going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say about unemployment right now? How do you think this has maybe given many opportunity?
3: Well, I mean, you know, certainly it doesn't feel good to be unemployed. Um, I, you know, there's a lot more than just the fact that you're not getting a paycheck. There is something about the way that we view ourselves sometimes when we're unemployed. You know, I think a lot of people like to wake up with purpose in the morning and having a place to go or having a way that they can contribute Um, And sometimes when you're unemployed, it's not just about losing the paycheck, but it's losing that opportunity to contribute. Um, What I do hope is that people will look at, you know, is there something else that they can do to be of contribution right now? Um, And where do they want to go next? You know, sometimes unemployment can offer opportunities for people to make a shift in their lives and maybe pursue a different skill or career that they had been waiting for. And maybe they now have the opportunity to do that and just take stock at what do they really want to have? What's their life really going to be going forward and how they can move in that direction? And so, you know, through our struggles, we can really grow. I think that breakdowns offer breakthrough opportunities every day. Mm,
0: Yeah. And I also I also hear that a lot of people are thinking about going back to school and doing something different. And just like you said, versus the amount they're receiving on a paycheck, it's more of, you know, am I living my passion? Am I living in purpose to others? I'm finding that to be more common.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: So what other opportunities do you see opening up from COVID?
3: Well, I think we're going to see some interesting things kind of take place. You know, gosh, our world just keeps getting crazier and crazier. And, you know, I don't know that we're really fully understanding the impacts that this is going to have um we're in an election year we're going into where people are anxious to get out and about again i think there's a lot we don't know about how the virus will um evolve from here will it come back heavily in the fall are we going to see an outbreak you know coming up in the summer and so i think that a lot of people are kind of waiting and seeing here i do think businesses will have to Reevaluate where they are. I actually expect that there'll be rippling layoffs maybe going forward as businesses re-figure out this new way of operating. Um, But I think there's also going to be plenty of opportunities that come from this as well. So it's not all gloom and doom. I think there's going to be a shifting that we start to see there. And so if you're looking for that and thinking about making a change, this could be an enormous opportunity for you. Yeah. And you were saying to act fast. Yes, I, I think a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of people are waiting. They're thinking, mom, I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right on unemployment. Some may even be making more in unemployment than they were when they were working. And I've heard a lot of people say, I'm just going to wait until that ends and then I'll look for a job. And I think that's a really um, not a great not a great strategy because I think as people are starting to open back up and are looking, they're looking for employees that want to get back to work. They're looking for people who say, I don't want to just, you know, live on this and then work. I want to get involved and be active now. Um, And I also think we may see some talent wars emerging from this where Mm. With this virtual environment now, there's gonna be more and more people looking for the job that you may want. And if you wait, that job may be gone. And so the early bird gets the worm here. Don't wait until those benefits run out to start looking for what your next move is, the sooner the better. Yeah, that's great advice.
0: With that, we're gonna to have to take another break. So everyone stick around for more Love From The Hip. Did you know that your skin is your body's first defense against disease and infection? BrioTech knows and has developed their topical skin spray to enhance your skin's natural healing responses and defenses. BrioTech is all about providing its customers products that help promote skin wellness. BrioTech Topical Skin Spray is a light misting spray free of added fragrance, oil, alcohol, and parabens. All this protection without clogging your pores. It's a must addition to your all around daily skincare regimen. Try Briotech, a collection of sprayers from 2 ounces to 8 ounces. With this bundle, you can have Briotech Topical Skin Spray wherever life takes you. All natural and safe to use from head to toe. Irritations? Redness? Post procedure sensitivities? Get Briotech Topical Skin Spray today. Learn more at BriotechUSA.com. That's B R I O T E C H USA.com. Support your skin at BrioTechUSA.com.
2: A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach, Rory Reich, experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y. R-E-I-C-H dot com. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And if you are just joining us today, I have the pleasure of having Forbes Books author of Financially Free, Andi Frazier. So, Andi, can I ask you how COVID has maybe impacted our, the financial stress
3: on dealing with our aging parents? Well, you know, it's so interesting. I've, you know, when we first had um, the kind of understanding around the coronavirus, we, you know, we're hearing about all these nursing homes that were really impacted. And I had so many women within our MyWorth community reach out and talk to me about how do I really handle this? It's not just about um, the, you know, not being able to see their mom or dad or their relative that may be in a nursing facility, but it's also about how do we explain what's going on how do we financially continue to support them? The jobs were in jeopardy. And so it was a, a tremendous amount of stress, I think, for people to be, you know, managing all of this and to have aging parents that they also were trying to take care of. And so it's um it's something that's disproportionately certainly affected women here.
0: Yeah. And I mean, what are the things that we
3: should do now learning moving forward? Well, I think first and foremost is if you if you have aging parents that are not currently in Um, a facility, for example, that you're having these important conversations with them about what is it that they want to have happen um, for the remaining part of their life? Like, what are their wishes? What are their desires? And how can you be of support to them in regard to that? What can you do there? Um, And really listening to what they say. I think those conversations are so challenging and hard to have, but are so necessary because Unfortunately, sometimes we can see with aging parents that something can happen drastically and in a moment, and then there's no time to have the conversation, or it can be a slow um, loss of, you know, being able to communicate. Maybe it's due to Alzheimer's or or dementia in some way, and that can be a slow slide, and, you know, it can get out of hand without even really recognizing it. So having those important conversations early, I think, are really critical for people Mm. to have. Where are documents? How can I support you? You know wh- what do you want to have happen um so that you understand not only what are their wishes but how what are the financial resources available to help them you okay. know have that for themselves and then what about for the women you know women are really kind of hit hard right now with all of this they're you know they're usually not only the ones that are physically taking care of elderly parents or even in-laws or other relatives but there's also now this um financial burden They're facing, you know, having to maybe work from home right now and taking care of and homeschooling younger children or thinking about college if their kids are in college. And so, um, and a lot of women have been unfortunately disproportionately laid off during this time because they were in businesses that were really affected more dramatically than maybe others. And so women are really got hit kind of hard with all of this. And so what I would say to most women is take a deep breath And, you know, recognize that, you know, you may need to create some of that stillness so that you can start to think clearly. It's a lot to process and manage, and it's okay to have a lot of mixed feelings right now. Yeah, yeah.
0: And how do you think this pandemic has also changed retirement for many? Well, I think
3: if you're not immediately coming up on retirement, then you can um, relax a little bit. We've seen the markets, you know, rebound relatively quickly. Quickly through the years, I think we're going to see a little volatility through the end of the year with the election coming up. But I do think that if you're not immediately going to be retiring in the next, you know, one to three years, or not already retired and taking money out, then you should, you know, kind of let your retirement accounts do what they were designed to do. Um, if you are really nervous and excited and upset and anxious about what's going on, it may be a good time to reach out to your advisor and just say, "I'm really." want to understand and maybe you need to be more conservative with where you are just to give you a little peace of mind so you can explore that. Um, If you're immediately in retirement, then I would recommend considering other sources to draw money from if you have them available that aren't associated with the market so that you're not taking losses on top of taking withdrawals. And so having um, money that might be available that's not in the market is, you know, a good diversification strategy for sure.
0: Okay, awesome. And so let's talk about your book, Financially Free. What was the
3: catalyst for writing your book? Well, you know, I'm I'm normally a speaker. I do a lot of public speaking. And so I don't always think of myself as a writer. But I've been doing a lot of writing in the last couple of years. And I'm enjoying it more and more. And when I decided to write a book, I wanted to write a book that wasn't a how-to book. I feel like we have enough of those out there right now. I instead wanted to write a book that would create conversations for people to have with themselves about their relationship to money, how they think about money. What are some of these things they should be thinking about tactically that they might want to do and formulate a plan for themselves. And then they can start to think about the next step, which is the how to. So the book financially free is 11 conversations to have with yourself about life, money, and worth. And so my thought was, is we needed to back up a little bit. Um, and think through some of these things before we actually get into action. I think when people rush to get into action, it's too easy to not stay consistent over time, or it's too easy to get triggered to get off track, or they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. So right. the book is really designed to have people to really think and um, process some of these conversations with themselves first.
0: Yeah. And it, would you say it's also essentially designed to change your consciousness with money?
3: Absolutely. The first part of the book really dives into that about your values and goals and your behavior, your money maxim, your beliefs around money and how they've how that's influenced your life and where you want to take things. And once you really have a kind of an understanding about that, then there's some things to think about related to the various areas of your financial life, your protection, your savings, growth, cash flow and debt. Um, and even, you know, furthering out thinking about how money is impacted during our relationships, whether it be with our parents or our children, or our loved ones, um, our significant others, that relationship oriented stuff there. So there's um, some really good conversations throughout the book to kind of touch on a lot of those different areas. That's wonderful. And can you share the title again? It's financially free. And if you look at it, you might also read that it could be said it's finally free. <laughs> um, I think that Freedom is the ability to be intentional and to create choice for yourself in your life to do whatever it is that you want to do and have and more importantly, who you want to be.
0: Yeah, awesome. And do you think we can all reach our fullest potential with money in our lifetime?
3: I think that we can if we let go of the shoulding that goes on in our lives from others and what we should be doing and should be doing this and should be doing that. When we stop that part of the process, I think that we could then figure out what it is that we really want, and then let money be a way to be able to uh, really have that created as a result.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, how can my listeners learn more about you or find your book?
3: Well, they can find the book on any major bookseller, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books. Um, certainly, you can go to AndiFraser.com. Um, A-N-D-E-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com to hear a little bit or read a little bit about me. And then um, I also, in my role as CEO and editor-in-chief of my worth, we have a lot of great financial content at MyWorthFinance.com as well. So, and follow me on social, Instagram, Facebook. Um, don't have a podcast yet, but that may be a next. <laughs> year, but they can find me at all the places that they find everybody else. Right, right.
0: Your, your podcast and your next book, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for being here today.
3: Oh, Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. And thank you to Eric, my splendid producer, and you, the listener. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Really love the show? Don't be shy. Drop me a line at com. Tune in next Wednesday at 2 p.m. for another episode of Go Beyond the Veil with my co-host Rory Reich, where we try to put your skepticism of the unknown to rest. And don't forget to make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare ya.